0: You're listening to AI Proficiency, turning tomorrow into today, a podcast dedicated to sharing the knowledge and language of artificial intelligence in the Department of Defense. Join us as we discuss the passion projects for some of today's brightest minds and how artificial intelligence is being cultivated, procured, and delivered throughout the U.S. government. Be prepared to learn how artificial intelligence has become a part of everyday life and is working to support and further government missions.
1: Hi, everyone. Welcome to this episode of AI proficiency turning tomorrow into today. I'm Ariel Moore, the producer of this podcast. Again, today we are joined by our moderator, Kirsten, helping us gather relevant knowledge and expertise from our guest today, Maynard Holliday, PTDO Assistant Secretary of Defense for Critical Technologies at the United States Department of Defense. So thank you for joining us today.
0: Kirsten, the floor is yours. Hello, and welcome back for another episode of AI Proficiency, turning tomorrow into today. I would like to welcome our guest on, who is a first-time guest to the podcast, Maynard Holiday. We're super excited to have you here with us. And Maynard, usually I start these episodes by giving our guests the platform to share a little bit about who you are, and I love diving into people's career trajectories, so sort of like where you began, how you got into this line of work, and where you are today, if you don't mind sharing with us.
1: Sure. I am, as of last week, performing the duties of the Assistant Secretary of Defense for Critical Technologies. Before that, my title was Deputy Chief Technology Officer for Critical Technologies at the Department of Defense. And so in that role, I own 10 of the department's 14 critical technologies of which trusted artificial intelligence, machine learning, and autonomy is one. I also have many others that range from hypersonics to directed energy, microelectronics, and space, but we're here to talk about the hot topic in the public domain as well as in the defense domain, and that's artificial intelligence. And so how I came to this work, I am a mechanical engineer by uh, multiple degrees. I have undergraduate degrees from Carnegie Mellon and graduate degree from Stanford in robotics, mechanical engineering design, and robotics are programmed to, to do things that are intelligent. And I have spent my career both in the national laboratories or nuclear weapons laboratories, Lawrence Livermore, Sandia National Labs, as well as in Silicon Valley, working for various robotics startups and mature robotics companies like Intuitive Surgical. And I come to this work by being a twice appointed uh, presidential appointee, first in the Obama administration as the senior technical advisor to the undersecretary of defense for acquisition. Technology and Logistics, and and now in the Biden-Harris administration as the Assistant Secretary, performing the duties of the Assistant Secretary for Critical Technologies.
0: Wow, very cool. It's, It's so awesome to have you here. And my next question is around what drew you to studying the things that you studied and working in this capacity? Was it Something along the lines of an interest in tech or another specific passion or something else that really kind of was your main driver for going into this line of work?
1: Yeah, so great, great question. And when I when I go talk to audiences, you know, from school children all the way up to, to university students, I, I tell them my motivation was pop culture back when I was growing up in the 70s, and that was reruns of Star Trek comic books and the U.S. space program. And Star Trek was the you know, first science fiction show that I could see a reflection of uh, people who look like myself and that you know, African-American in, in roles of leadership, of technical uh, depth. And then in, again, in, in, in comic books, you, know, you have you know, the Black Panther in popular culture now, but in, in the comic domain, T'Challa, you know, the King of Wakanda was also its top engineer. And his sister Shuri, you know, was a character as well, but wasn't the way she's depicted in the movies now. And so he was an early, you know, again, fictional role model. And then, you know, an episode of the Trekkies out there will appreciate this. You know, the computational system of Starfleet is, uh, is named after a, a black man, Richard Daystrom. And his episode was, you know, the ultimate computer. You know, he designed the computers for Starfleet. And so fast forward to the uh, first U.S. shuttle astronaut class where they, they named several African-Americans as, as astronauts, those became uh, real life role models for me. And so I wanted to to be an astronaut. And I said, well, how can I do that? You know, from a technical standpoint, like uh, Dr. Ron McNair, who was an HBCU graduate, North Carolina A&T, and then a PhD from MIT. And I uh, went that route, the, the technical route. And I was fortunate enough, almost, Ten years after my graduate degree, to to interview to to be an astronaut, and so I I interviewed twice in the uh, in the mid 90s, and my my dream almost came true. But I'm here talking to you today because it did not. I had the honor and privilege of interviewing with the the pilot and commander of Columbia who who perished, you know, in that accident. And so I feel you know lucky, you know, and honored to have known them. But I uh, at that point recognized that. I had a- another calling and stopped updating my application when my family said, you know, why would you want to want to do that and put yourself in harm's way? And, you know, I had a young family at the time. And so I, uh, I concentrated on my career in you know, in the national lab system and in, uh, in Silicon Valley.
0: Oh, I love that story. And. So it sounds like you've always dreamed big and you've set out to achieve big goals and you have achieved them. They may have led you in a different direction, but ultimately you had this idea in your mind and you went after it.
1: Yeah, I'm. I, I've always been, you know, and I I come from a family of uh, technical people. Uh, you know, I have uncles who what they could aspire to in their in their time was to be calculus teachers. Because of segregation, they could not become engineers, so they became math teachers and and had technical you know experiences there. And they were, you know, like I said, early role models, you know, within my my family. So I've always been in technical things and pop culture, you know, lit that fire long ago.
0: Very cool. Thank you for sharing that with us. So my next question is going to be around innovation and the encouragement of innovation when it comes to AI in different sectors of government. So can you just kind of speak to what you've seen as ways of moving forward when it comes to taking courageous steps with, within the government to really help innovate and encourage the adoption of this new technology. Any examples or just anecdotes you could share with us?
1: Well, yeah, I would remind you know listeners that the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, or DARPA, has always been at the forefront of investing in new technology. And As we like to say, buying down the risk in developing that new technology. So we're all beneficiaries of government investment in the GPS constellation, which allows us to to navigate these small systems that are in our cell phones that receive those satellite signals are all products of government investment to give us technological Advantage and, and superiority you know for our, our deterrence, but have also had a dual commercial use. And, and AI is no different. The government hasn't been investing in, in AI for for decades. and so we, we recognize the, the power of it and we have several DARPA programs as well as programs within our trusted AI and autonomy organization that are aggregating different domains of data so that it can be labeled and then used to train neural nets for for our specific purposes.
0: And have you seen the government coming together with private sector and other academic institutions to help develop and implement AI solutions, like developing new AI technologies or use cases?
1: Well, yeah, so it's a very timely question. We just Three weeks ago, had a defense technology review that we hosted where we we did just that. We had our military services present use cases to industry and academia where AI could help. And we were able to discuss what the technical gaps were. And how academia and industry could close those gaps. And so it was a very fruitful meeting with, I'll say, all the players, but most of the players. And happy to to send you offline, you know, kind of a breakdown of, of who was there and who who participated, so that you get a complete picture of uh, you know how we're how we're looking at this.
0: That's very cool. What was your overall feeling walking away from something like that? Do you feel like it's something that you want to do more often or is extremely beneficial? What was kind of the the feelings around having these, these different areas come together and explore this topic?
1: Well, you know, it's uh, it, it, the technology is moving very fast. And so we recognize we're going to have to keep our proverbial finger on the pulse of what industry is doing and understanding, you know, their responsible AI framework. And then also being able to pilot and evaluate what we call TNV test and evaluate and validate you know AI models and implementations before you know we uh, we we deploy them and so we're going to have another meeting like this early in the new year but in the interim we're going to be talking to industry you know I'm headed back home to northern california in in 2 weeks and we'll be talking to ai companies there about their large language models and what they're doing with respect to you know responsible ai frameworks so that's you know something that you know we're going to continually do
0: yeah and kind of along with that you know you mentioned a few things like the evaluation process and responsible ai what can you share with us about how you feel the government is planning to monitor and regulate the development and the use of AI technology into the future? Or just some of your, your own thoughts around that.
1: Yeah, so I would uh, point to the, you know, the White House's recent pronouncement, and you can, you can get that online. But as far as guidelines that some of the companies have agreed to, You know, my own, and again, this is my own, you know, personal view on things is we're going to have to pay attention, you know, looking at understanding when it's giving us good information and and be always on alert for when it's being used for misinformation or you heard heard the term, you know, deep fakes, being able to alert the public and anybody else who comes across it that when things you know have been tampered with and DARPA has some programs dealing with that. And then I'm very sensitive to, you know, bias in AI because AI is only as good as the data that's put in the models. There's research out there that has has shown early facial detection algorithms did, did not not work on black female faces or just black faces in general, because there w- weren't enough training data of that of our population for you to have high confidence in facial recognition of African-American faces. And there have been cases where people have been misidentified and accused of crimes because of flawed facial recognition. So we have to guard against that. And and how we do that is is make sure that we have diverse heterogeneous data sets, and then we have diverse development teams being able to provide feedback and input into, you know, what these models represent, what data that are used. And so, you know, it's going to be a constant, I, I won't say struggle, but, you know, we have to be ever vigilant about that and and be able to make sure, you know, every population is is represented if we're going to deploy it, you know, in public spaces.
0: Absolutely. You mentioned deep fakes. I've definitely heard of it, but I'm not sure if I fully understand it. Would you mind explaining (laughs) that?
1: Yeah. So that's where you see celebrities, politicians saying in videos that look to the untrained naked eye, like real where full motion video has been manipulated, so you have people saying and celebrities, politicians and others saying things and doing things that they've never done, but because of sophistication of the technology, it looks like that person. And so, you know, first glance, you know, when you see this, you're led to believe, hey, that person really said that or or did that. And so that's dangerous because of you know how it can be misused to create panic or create outrage. So again, that's that's something w- we're working to be able to identify through digital means when a a, a deep fake is uh, is produced.
0: Oh yeah, man! Thank you for clarifying. <laughs> All right, so we've kind of covered this a little bit, but just maybe if you could share some of the common misconceptions that you hear about AI from. Either end of the spectrum, but what are what are some things that you you hear commonly?
1: Yeah, sure. And overestimated uh, AI costs, and the and the large number of experts required for AI creation, the overestimated AI creativity, and underestimated needs in new hardware that can be integrated with AI. Also, that AI continuously improves itself while there is work. I would note that while it's working in, in continued online, lifelong learning, these are not the norm. So, most of the time, machine learning models are trained in the factory and then put into operation, you know, fixed to that initial training. And sometimes companies will create a process to collect and label new data in order to periodically retrain and update the deployed model. But even that is more like your browser installing updates rather than the sort of directed self improvement people imagine about AI. And then lastly I'd say we are not anywhere close to what people call artificial general intelligence or AGI, where you know an AI is all knowing and can can do all things. And so most AI is very narrow, you know, in its application. And so, you know, that's examples of that are the the programs, you know, 20 years ago that beat the world chess champion, Deep Blue, you know, from IBM, the the program that beat the world Go champion, AlphaGo. Yeah, so very specific knowledge about Go, but, you know, you, you couldn't ask it to give you a recipe for, you know, a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. So, you know, very narrow in, in its application.
0: For sure. So I think you mentioned earlier that you have a family. So if you have kids or I mm-hmm. don't they are, but my next question is around the school systems and, you know, sure. even as early as like the K through 12th grades, how do you see, I, if you're a father, I imagine you have an interesting perspective on it, having children yourself, but how could schools and educators better prepare students to understand and work with AI, just given the nature of the way in which the world is going today?
1: Yeah, sure. And so I, when I get the chance, I teach robotics. or or talk about robotics to to school children at, at all level. And when I tell them, and this is your generation as well, you guys are digital natives. I mean, you have grown up with iPhones and iPads and PlayStation 5s, and you're fluent in interfacing with technology. And so it's not such a stretch to then be able to unpack you know, how the technology that these generations coming up now work. And so I would say programs should be designed to enhance, you know, math education, especially around probability and statistical concepts, which a lot of, you know, AI is based on. And then, you know, my area of expertise, robotics, which covers, you know, the intersection of computer science, mechanical engineering, electrical engineering, and relative to the others, uh, a rather new area called human-machine interfaces, you know, how people interact with machines. And so that's a design field, user experience, user interface design, which gives you, you know, talks about how you interact with programs and your game controller, you know, how should that be designed? And so being able to, like I said, unpack the digital tools that these kids are already fluent in, in using and, and learning, you know, how they are designed and built, you know, gives them a bridge to, to understanding, you know, how underlying AI w- would work. And then, you know, at all levels, schools need to consider the best ways to incorporate AI into learning and policies to help teach students when and how to productively use the tools like large language models. And you can compare that in my generation, the evolving policies around pocket calculators. That was the thing. And, you know, when my kids were of age, they could bring calculators into tests and they had to be graphing calculators and you could plot XY coordinates and and do a graph on, on your calculator. And that was part of the exam rather than having to do it, you know, by hand on a piece of paper. And so Yeah, I think our policies around AI are going to evolve around that, where you're going to be able to use large language models and other generative AI as a foundation, but then build on it to develop specific ideas and
0: and concepts. Absolutely. And then one of my last questions here coming to the end. But what do you think the future of AI is going to look like, and the impact that it's going to have? Which I know is a huge question. So please, right. how you see fit. <laughs> yeah. So
1: I, you know, I think this is certainly a an inflection point in history where it's going to be we're going to think of you know the before times and then the after times, and there you know several points you, you know you can go backwards to look at you know the creation of ARPANET, which was a you know a research network connecting universities for defense purposes. But you know, once you put a browser on top of that, that changed and the and and the internet exploded because of the protocols that were written. And then, you know, the iPhone in two thousand seven. So this is a similar moment where, you know, things are just going to continue to manifest itself into new capabilities. And I think Unlike what happened with social media, where it grew unchecked, this industry is asking for regulation. And I think in the Department of Defense domain, we are going to use it for decision support for our commanders and to give us deep information and situational awareness based on the wealth of data that our platforms and so in, in our area in trusted AI and autonomy, we are standing up AI hubs that are looking at full motion video and electro optic and infrared signals to be able to analyze those so that again, as I said, we could train our neural nets to to recognize signatures. And then, you know, large language models to be able to interact with our, our, our commanders. And again, in popular culture, you, you, you've seen, you know, AIs in the latest Black Panther movie, you have Griot, that was voiced by Trevor Noah, talking to the Queen and Shuri about, you know, the ambient environment and having a conversation, you know, based on its knowledge base. And you're going to see, you know, these AIs proliferate, and they're not going to have to be as big as chat they're going to be tailored power is going to be what we call multimodal, where we're going to have large language models informed by AI from full motion video and other sensory modalities. And the AI will draw from all of those to give you answers. But yeah, it's an an exciting time. And I think we are just at the cusp of some great innovations coming up. And I'm excited to see what happens next.
0: As am I. Well, this has been such a great informative session speaking with you. And it's the first time I'm meeting you too. So it's it's been great to get to know you a little bit. Is there anything else that we didn't cover that you would like to discuss before I ask my final question for you?
1: Just that uh, for the workforce, I would not be pessimistic about a massive job displacement. I think people will be able to upskill and start working with the ai based systems because we still need human judgment in a lot of cases and so the workforce will have to come up to some level of ai literacy as we had to do you know with the advent of personal computers and smartphones and you know other things that we take for granted and and use every day. So I would I would say, you know, the future is uh, is bright and we shouldn't be uh, afraid of it as as AI begins to proliferate.
0: I'm really glad that you brought that up. So my last question for you is if you were to write a book, what would that book be about uh-huh. and why?
1: Wow. So Again, I would say it it would be like my pop culture beginnings, where it would be a story around a civilization of great diversity and of technological depth that would be looking to create fusion energy and space travel, and then being able to explore the oceans and our near-Earth environment. And so it would be a combination of Star Trek and, and you know, the Federation and Wakanda and, and other visions of a, of, of a future where, you know, we're all working together for, a, you know, a common good, you know, to explore and to wipe out disease. You know, and, and one of the things I would say, you know, AI is poised to do because it can do deep computations on, you know, protein folding is, you know, it's going to be able to help us cure some diseases we're going to be able to find cures for because of what AI can do. And so I'd like to write a story about, you know, how that comes about.
0: I love that. I think that's so cool. And I love when people give like more personal answers. So thank you for sharing that. We've we've learned a lot from you today. Well, everyone tuning in, uh, appreciate you guys joining us today. And please like, comment, and subscribe for our next episode here on ai proficiency turning tomorrow into today
1: thank you so much maynard for joining us today i learned a lot from your presentation and i wanted to thank kirsten again for guiding that conversation and getting us all the information we needed out of today's episode we hope to see everyone again in the next episode of ai proficiency turning tomorrow into today bye everyone
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of AI Proficiency Turning Tomorrow into Today. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, make sure to like, follow, and subscribe, and share this podcast within your network. These actions move mountains for our mission of sharing artificial intelligence knowledge. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week on our next episode of AI Proficiency Turning Tomorrow into Today.